right, welcome everyone to the Five R's podcast. Uh, I am George Cagle, joined by Scotty Jinks. Greetings. And Brad Smith. Hello. So first off, uh, I do want to say that Brad uh, is our highest profile guest that we've had <laughs> so far on this show. Uh, we've actually, we managed to grab an elder from our, our uh, Redeemer Church uh, to be in this podcast. So we're the big time now. I don't think there's any truth behind any of that, but thank you. <laughs> You're very humble. And then I have the other question is, Brad, do you recall what the five R's stand for? Absolutely. We got the Redeemer Radical Reflections from Reading Rightly. So I, I was actually going to bring that up tonight and see if any of your other guests had ever um, had the opportunity or the privilege of stating the podcast name. So, you know, I'm going to uh, I'm, I'm very proud of you. Uh, very excited. Yeah, I will actually, I'm probably going to start doing that in the future now and see if these guys, especially some of these guys <laughs> who've been on like two or three times, uh, surely they'll, surely they'll get it. <laughs> well, and let but, me just you know, say just five hours is okay. Well, there you go. Let me just say guys, it's a privilege to be on. And, and yes, as an elder at the church, um, just so encouraged by you guys and y'all's faithfulness to doing this. It's been such a um, I think a felt need in the body that that several people are enjoying, and and so thanks for having me. Thanks for doing this. Um, love you guys. Oh, thanks, Brad. Love you too. Thank you. Well, let's. Uh, so today we are looking at chapters thirty-two and thirty-three of Isaiah, and it's a couple of fairly lengthy and and deep chapters. So. Uh, as usual, I'm sure we will not, uh, you know, make it within the 45 minute mark, but that's usual uh, now to be expected. We should really just make a, you know, I think a goal of being under an hour now for all our episodes. That sounds um, pretty manageable. All right. Good. All right. So now the goal is under an hour. So uh, we're going to start with Brad because Brad's the guest. What were, uh, if, if you would share kind of a, a, you know, quick summary of the two chapters and maybe your initial thoughts and, and everything. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I thought it was pretty cool that last week you guys stopped at the end of chapter 31, which was basically finishing with a call to repentance and, and then a promise that, that Zion or Jerusalem will be God's instruments uh, for bringing judgment on Assyria. So as, as y'all finished that, and I'd listened to that uh, late last week, and then we get to Sunday morning where, as a church body, we just finished the sermon series through Hebrews 11 on faith. I thought it was pretty interesting because Isaiah seems to be preaching uh, to a nation of people that are, that are struggling to understand kind of what true faith is, I think. Um, it's like they'd heard from their families about all that God had done for them, um, but they hadn't necessarily seen seeing God in action with their own eyes. And so they kind of had this theoretical faith that they could state pretty much what they believed, but didn't really have a practical faith. Um, and so, so their stated beliefs hadn't really penetrated into their hearts, I think. Um, and so in their struggle to withstand these onslaughts from the, the Assyrians, their beliefs about God's protection and, and God's sufficiency weren't really enough to sustain them because while they knew them in their heads, they didn't believe them with their hearts. Um, so they weren't relying on God's power because 
practically, uh, I think their, their real faith was in human power. It was in kings or chariots or fleeing to Egypt for help. So I think it's cool as we enter these two chapters this week to see um, where Isaiah is going to promise the future Messiah that's going to rule righteously and rule justly. And even though God's people weren't faithful, he's still going to come and over, he's still going to come and he's going to overcome their enemies for them. And he's going to promise them the Holy spirit. He's going to bring his people to repentance and a deeper faith in him. So I was just, uh, yeah, I, I, I've read the book of Isaiah a few times, but never studied it to this level. So I really enjoyed these two chapters. Awesome. Good. Scotty, anything to add to that? Uh, well, I guess I could say, um, that I guess we're, we're finally moving forward, you know, from, from how not to do things, you know, we're finally looking forward to, uh, sort of, uh, the, the city showing us what things are supposed to look like. Um, and I, I gotta say it, it is a little bit, uh, confusing for me. These, uh, chapters seem to go back and forth between positive and negative. Um, right. and, uh, but I think that the, I think that the overall direction we're heading is, is positive. And I think, uh, as we talk about it, we're going to, um, go back and forth between talking about a literal King and the Lord. Yeah. And when, um, so there may be some confusion on my part, <laughs> uh, but we're, we're going to see what it looks like for God to be uh, royalty, you know, for him to be in his proper place, uh, what it's going to look like for the people and for the world around him. Um, and uh, it's going to be good. Right. I think it, uh, it definitely ends you know, certainly with uh, you know, the ending of chapter 33, it, it's going to end with uh, this uh, vision of what creation, of what the world will look like when God has consummated, you know, his, uh, his kingdom, you know, with the new heavens and the new earth. So um, exciting stuff to to look at and to and to read about with these uh these two chapters so let's get started let's do this uh let's begin let's do this so you know looking at the first uh kind of the first eight verses there's this looking forward to the future right we have a a king who's going to reign in righteousness and princes under him right who will rule in justice which already automatically makes this new government uh, a purely righteous one and and very very different from all the leaders that israel was used to uh right at this point but what are y'all's uh uh reflections on uh, on you know this first section well, so I think we got to go back to the ending of uh, chapter 31. Um, so we were talking in uh, 30 about uh, not trusting in Egypt, not trusting in men. And then uh, 31 uh, is basically an encouragement to turn to the Lord for help. And then uh, 32 flowing from that is kind of an, kind of um, spelling out what it looks like to actually rely on the Lord for help. Um, and so I had two 
uh, you know, from the very beginning, a couple of uh, cross references I wanted to bring up. Uh, the first one is Proverbs eight fifteen, which says, "By me kings reign and rulers decree justice." Um, and eight sixteen says, "By me princes rule um, and nobles all who judge rightly." And so the Lord is basically taking credit for any positive ruler, right? And suggesting for us when we're looking for a ruler. Uh, that we look for somebody who's going to rely on him. Uh, and so when chapter 32 starts uh, and talks about a king uh, will reign righteously and rulers will rule justly, um, we're seeing the outworking of people who do uh, trust in the Lord, uh, what it looks like to have them in leadership, um, and, which is uh, going well. Um, and then uh, Isaiah 6.10 uh, Isaiah said, uh, make the minds of these people dull, uh, deafen their ears and blind their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their minds, turn back and be healed. And, uh, the reason I brought that up is because it, it relates to, uh, verse three. Mm-hmm. Uh, then the eyes of those who see will not be closed and the ears of those who hear will listen. Uh, so now we have, you know, this, um, we have this idea from Isaiah six sort of turned on its head and said, listen, you know, those, uh, 28 chapters, uh, 26 chapters, I did the math wrong. Nope. 28 chapters, uh, were where everyone's, uh, eyes, uh, and ears were, were closed off. He says now, um, it, relying on the Lord for help instead of men, uh, understanding what we should and should not value. Uh, those eyes are going to be opened and those ears are going to be full of noise. All right. There's no more hardening of the hearts. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just kind of piggybacking, I thought in, if you look in verse two, um, it's talking about these, these, this new King and the new rulers that are going to be ruling and, uh, righteously and justly and that they're going to be a shelter from the wind. I thought it was a cool um, play on words where he says, and, and the shade of a massive rock in an arid land. So if you look back at uh, chapter 31, verse nine, it's referencing Assyria being destroyed and verse nine says his rock will pass away. So it's, it's talking about this rock in verse nine of 31 as being the King of Assyria that they had tried to allow Assyria to rule in some capacity and he was a terrible leader he was destructive to israel but that this new king these new leaders are going to be a massive rock in an arid land it's going to be the rock that that brings shade and that brings comfort and just the the differentiation of of what um, these kings and these rulers that israel had run to for so long and and where they placed their faith and where they placed their hope and now they've got this new king that's going to come it's going to be this this uh, the rock that that's going to be um, what they need. And then um, to see as it goes on, where it's talking about this future is this future gener- uh, generation of Israelites who will perceive God rightly. So unlike Isaiah's generation who, who just can't seem to follow God and, and trust God and understand him correctly, this future generation is going to see him correctly and their minds will be clear to discern the truth. And um, those who were once drunk or stammerers, as y'all talked about a few times on here, um, we'll finally be able to speak clearly and, and see verse five through eight kind of talks about these fools and who they are 
that this generation will finally see these foolish kings for who they are. Um, I just thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, really, that the I kind of want to talk about y'all. Y'all kind of covered the first four verses or so pretty pretty well, right? I think it's safe to say, right, that this king is the Messiah, right? The king promised in in Isaiah chapters nine and, and chapter eleven. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, verse five: the fool will no longer be called noble, nor the scoundrel said to be honorable. Right. And, and in today's world and, and throughout the history of mankind, I mean, that's so true. Right. People, all these people who are in power or, or people who the world considers successful, uh, God would consider them to be fools and scoundrels and, and wicked people. Um, so people will now see the wicked and foolish for who they really are. Right. Uh, these leaders of men will no longer be the leaders it will be uh the messiah and the and the and the church leaders uh godly leaders uh, one last thing i, w- I want to touch on is in verse six it says for the fool speaks folly and his heart is busy with iniquity to practice ungodliness ungodliness to utter error concerning the lord to leave the craving of the hungry unsatisfied and to de- deprive the thirsty of drink. And um can't remember who it was. I think it was maybe Tim Keller. I, I, I read this from, but you know, sin, right. Hurts uh, our relationship vertically with the Lord, as well as horizontally with our fellow man. And this verse covers that. Right. The fool's action and speech is against God. Right. There's ungodliness, error concerning the Lord. Then the fool also. Right. Hurts other people, leaving the craving of the hungry unsatisfied and depriving the thirsty of drink. Right. Our sin harms our relationship with God as well as our relationship with uh, other people. And I think that this verse actually uh captures that and that concept mic drop (laughs) yep that's it all right so long folks finished under an hour (laughs) no let's move on to the next (laughs) section now uh so next section right has to do with uh these women um and really i guess yeah like nine through 14 kind of have to do with uh, this group of women in uh, Jerusalem at this time. So, uh, Scotty, if you would explain real quick, who are these women that uh, Isaiah and, and the Lord seem to have a, a problem with? Sure. Uh, so verse nine calls them uh, overconfident uh, daughters. Um, really, when he what he's calling out is uh, complacency. Right now, as far as uh, who the women are, uh, my notes don't actually uh, talk about it. So I'm going to see if Brad's notes do. What do you got going on, Brad? <laughs> yeah, I just, on. I just had the, the uh, women of Jerusalem who, uh, like you were saying, the, the key word for me was complacency, that they had just kind of become complacent in, in their life. They had uh, they spent their time going about the marketplace and, and going about taking care of the home. Um, 
but that that really we're not being mindful of the fact, as he says, that, th- that this harvest is coming um, and that they need to be about their work because they're about to experience a famine. Um, but George, I'm sure you had a little bit more that you had in mind than, than what Sir Scotty and I had there. Yeah, well, uh, it seems based on, you know, what kind of Isaiah and the woes and things that Isaiah has talked about, especially in previous chapters like four and five, that these women are kind of representative of sort of the upper class, wealthier people of Israel who don't pay attention to others' needs, right? They uh, oppress the poor. They don't care about justice or social justice. And they they also think that their wealth, like that's their confidence, right? It's in their wealth or their sense of protection is in their wealth or even or even in Egypt, right? We'll use some of our wealth to buy or to pay off Egypt so that they can solve our problems, right? And they're so they're at ease. They're complacent. They have this false confidence. But uh, as chapter 10 says, right, uh, for the grape harvest fails, the fruit harvest will not come. It's, it's basically this declaration that their lifestyle is about to end, uh, they are going to lose the wealth and privilege and things that they valued so much and, and found to be their uh, right their idol, which I think speaks to people in America today, including myself. There's plenty of times where I place my confidence or, 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 or uh, sense of value in um, in my job and, and how much money I'm making. Uh, which is which is idolatry, and that's exactly what these uh, women here are guilty of. And he call and Isaiah calls these people right to humility and to repentance, right, with the sackcloth and and beating their breasts. You know, there's this mourning, um, so that they might, um, you know, receive mercy. But right, it ends with. The fact that here's why they're losing everything. There's going to be desolation, the downfall of Jerusalem, right? Verse 14, for the palace is forsaken, the populous city deserted, right? Again, the, a prophecy that Jerusalem will, in fact, fall. You know, it won't be to the Assyrians, but, um, but it, will, it will happen. I think that's great, George. I think, you know, to me, it's kind of like these women almost represent kind of happiness or the, the kind of contentment, earthly contentment that ultimately leads to our destruction um, because we put our, our contentment in, in created things as opposed to the creator and we, we aren't longing for God. And I think that's what we see in these women like you're describing that their, their contentment is in their, their earthly possessions and earthly satisfactions. Right. Um, Reminded of a story Jesus tells about a guy who um, had build, builds these giant barns to hold all his stuff, and then he fills it up, so he has to build it a bigger barn and fills that one up. So he says, you know, well, I guess the next step is to build a bigger barn again. Uh, and Jesus calls him a fool and says, you know, uh, don't you understand? Uh, this night, your life will be required of you. Um, and just th- that kind of contentment you're talking about, just like more, you know, what am I going to do with all this more? Uh, I guess I'll buy a storage unit so I can keep all my uh, stuff in there. Um, and <clears throat> what that, what that really looks like, you know, if, 
if we can backtrack real quick, uh, verse eight. Uh, so I'm I'm reading the CSB, which says, "But a noble person plans noble things; he stands up for noble causes." Right. So that's right before he uh, get gets into what the women are doing instead. Um, but I wanted to bring up uh, so George and I recently um, uh, read a collection of biographies by uh, John Piper. Uh, particularly, uh, we didn't read we didn't read all of them. Uh, but uh, Charles Spurgeon, uh, George Mueller, and H- Hudson Taylor. And one of his points was that um, in the lives of these three men, uh, they were willing and excited to do big things for God, um, which is something that you don't see today as often. Um, and I think when we're looking at verse eight, you know, the noble person plans noble things, stands up for noble causes. Um, I think the ESV says liberal. Um but the the idea here is that you've got this person who's generous, large-hearted, benevolent, who has large views and uh, public spirit, uh, right? Somebody who's looking for the welfare of his country and his fellow men. Um, and it's implied here uh, that these people would be selected uh, to for the government, right? Under under the Lord's ruling, these are the kind of guys who would be in charge of policy. Um, but these these people are proposing things which tend to promote public welfare uh, and not those merely which conduce to his private ends of gratification. And um, of course I stole that all from Bible hub. Uh, <laughs> so this is their, uh, this is our little commercial forum uh, because you know, you uh, anyone with internet access has commentary access as well. Um, but what I, what I feel in relation to that um is just this sort of complacency of my own to, to say that when, when I think about doing something big, um, when I think about doing something for the Lord, it's not that big. You know, oftentimes I think you have service to the Lord in terms of like, Oh man, maybe I should, maybe I should mortify that sin I've been putting off. Um, as opposed to maybe I should, you know, really, uh, try to change things for, uh, for people around me. Uh, maybe I should stand up for this uh, group of people who are uh, not looked on favorably, you know. Um, and what he's saying here, you know, the noble person plans noble things. He stands up for noble causes. And uh, and that to me is a bit convicting because it causes me to look for those causes I'm standing up for, uh, you know, if we're if we're going to try to, you know, be the change we want to see in the world, uh, which of course is not biblical wisdom. Um, but asking the question, like, um, if the trajectory that I'm currently on, uh, based on, uh, the activities going on in my life, um, what's, what's that going to lead to? Is it going to lead to, uh, noble things for, the, uh, the people around me? Um, and it's something I'm going to have to think about and work on. Mm-hmm. It's good. So moving from there, right, we have uh, verses 15 through 20 of chapter 32, in which there is a promise of renewal and restoration, right? This kind of this complete reversal of creation and, and, and the curse of sin. Uh, Brad, I know you wanted to talk about these five verses, so uh, I'm going to hand it off to you here. Nice. Yeah, I just... To me, coming out of these, talking about these complacent women, these women that are um, 
not aware that, that they're about to face famine, be it whether it was an actual physical famine or spiritual famine or both, likely both. Um, but then verse 15 is, is the promise of the Spirit being poured out on his people. Um, and, and it doesn't say that the Spirit is given to his people or that the Spirit is, you know, you get a little bit. It's, it's that it's poured out on his people um, with abundance. And um, so this giving of the Spirit is going to bring about the removal of the complacency. Um, so real quick, would you yeah. say this Spirit is the Holy Spirit? I would. So would you say that this is an example of the Trinity? Nice. Continue, Brad. <laughs> yeah. So, so yes, definitely a, a, a Trinity alert here. Um, but yeah, so our counterfeit joy, these women had, had their, their counterfeit joy that is now going to be replaced with the real joy. And it talks about peace and quietness and trust that they will have forever. Um, and I just think that this theme that we see over these five verses is central to Isaiah's message and really the, the entire message of the gospel that God will renew his people, even though his people often have forgotten him. Um, to me, that was just a, what a blessing, what a promise that, that Isaiah gives this people that continues to run every direction, but to God is that even though you're forgetting him, even though you're complacent, his spirit's going to be poured out on you. But then I, I do uh, verse 19 um, says, but hail will level the forest and the city will sink into the depths. Um, so it's just interesting to, to read that this, this forest is likely referencing Assyria, that, that Assyria will be wiped out um, and the city is going to be Zion or Jerusalem, that it will be, uh, will sink into the depths. So he's basically saying, I'm going to pour out my spirit on you, but first you are going to be humbled. Um, and I think that that's just such a, a truth that we have to understand is that oftentimes before God, um, before we can receive God's blessing and, and all that he has for us, it requires us being humbled, whether we humble ourselves or whether we are humbled by him. Um, usually for me anyway, it's the second I, I am forced to humble myself before God because he, allows me to recognize my sinfulness. Um, but I was just reminded in this of a verse, I'm sure several people are familiar with second Chronicles seven fourteen that says, if my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. I think it's just this, this promise that God is going to heal his people, but his people have to humble themselves. Right. Yeah, I found, yeah, just this promise that, uh, like in verse 17, the effect of righteousness will be peace, which is the Hebrew word shalom, mm -hmm. right? This, which we don't have really in English language or in the English language, right? A word that kind of is equivalent to this, right? But it's just this, it's a wholeness, it's a completeness. It is uh, a, 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 you know, just a, a perfect uh, integration as far as our relationship with the Lord and our relationship with each other and, and the rest of creation, right? Uh, and that that is going to be uh, 
you know, we're going to live in that, right? That that's, that is a promise uh, for us. And that, and that there's also going to be right. This, this promise of secure dwellings, quiet resting places, right. In, In verse 18, just this true confidence, Right. There was previously the confidence of, you know, like the women in the things of this world, which was a false confidence uh, that will show to fail. But trust in the Lord actually will bring true uh, security and, and true confidence. Yeah. And again, to this people that they have not known peace they have not known a secure dwelling because they have been constantly attacked from outside influences outside nations and and now they're being promised that the spirit's going to be poured out that this this messianic king will be established and my people will dwell in a peaceful place and a safe and secure dwelling i mean i'm sure they hear that and just long for that yes yes lord please bring that mm-hmm well, and on, on the subject of uh, sort of trusting in uh, worldly things for security uh, rather than the security that comes from the Lord, um, I have been watching a TV show. Um, I'm not going to bother asking if you guys have seen it because uh, half, half the show <laughs> takes place in the 1920s, uh, dealing with the stock market crash of 1929. And... Uh, if you're looking for an example of people who put their trust in worldly things um, and considered their life literally over um, to the point that they were killing themselves um, because they had lost uh, everything they had worked so hard for. Um, and then realizing that wasn't that long ago, you know, so we're um, let's say that was 90 years ago. And um, you know, if, uh, I, I'm not trying to like prophesy anything. I'm just, I'm just uh, suggesting yeah. that if there is any kind of cyclical nature uh, to something like that, it, it could be right around the corner. And so if you were to think about uh, two kinds of people, you know, if you were to think about the person um, who has spent their whole life, you know, saving up for retirement, knowing that things completely outside of our control can completely drain that account. Um, and then someone who is generous instead, uh, you know, someone who uh, is a noble person who plans noble things and stands up for noble causes and how a person who's giving everything away and not keeping it for themselves, you'd say, wow, you know, this guy's a terrible steward. <laughs> he's out there. Um, he's not doing anything to, you know, make, make his future better. Um, and then in the event that something, uh, again, completely over my head, were to take away uh, uh, the basic measurable uh, wealth of the entire country, um, you just say, well, in that case, who was actually wiser, you know? Um, But of course, we can't plan for things like that. Uh, It's just sobering to think that those kinds of things can happen, will happen. And, you know, in in the text, you know, that's that's verse 19, right? Um, he's talking about uh, taking away the prosperity of a people. And um, it's, it's important for us to think about uh, our lives in terms that are going to be able to survive something like that. And when, if your purpose is as an earner, you know, then 
what does that mean um, when the Lord takes that away? From there we've got, we're, we're coming into chapter 33 now. Uh, so the first verse, right, starts with, ah, you destroyer or, or some, you know, other um, translations will say, whoa. But, right, the, the reference here in a historical context, right, is, is Assyria, but there is really this, this metaphor, right, of the destroyer kind of is representing any power, right, that's opposed to God, just the enemies of, of God's people. Um, in the second half of, uh, you know, the verse, right, when you have ceased to destroy, you will be destroyed. And when you have finished betraying, they will betray you. And I think it's important to to know and understand that the enemies of God's people, in this case, Assyria, but really, it, it, right, it's applied to any uh, power. Uh, the They will stop because it's decided by God that they will now stop, right? It's the Lord who decides how far Assyria gets to go. And then he's like, okay, you're done. And now, now it's your turn. Right. For for this to happen to you. And I think that's uh, important to uh, for us for us to to know and understand. Right. Whether it's, uh, you know, a a godless nation or or organization or uh, just, you know, just the people uh, living today, um, even, you know, people living in Tomball who are anti uh, Jesus, there will be a point where God goes enough, right? And that's, uh, and that's something that we need to keep in mind as, as, you know, we continue to serve the Lord in spite of, uh, opposition. Yeah. 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 Well, I found it really cool going into chapter 33 to do a little, um, historical context kind of of what was going on that, that led to Isaiah writing this chapter. Um, and so I'm going to just dig into that, whether y'all want me to or not, here we go. Um, so basically we've seen that Judah was being threatened by the Assyrian empire. And even though God had promised that he was going to be taking care of his people, his people are hard headed and continue to try to fix their problems on their own. So we see that they go to Egypt asking Egypt to try to help them. Um, but that this attempt proved unsuccessful. Um, so 2 Kings 18, 13 through 16, um, I want to read this just to kind of set the stage for chapter 30, uh, 33 here. It says, Now in the 14th year of Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and seized them. Then Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, I have done wrong. Withdraw from me whatever you impose on me, I will bear. So the king of Assyria required of Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. Hezekiah gave him all the silver which was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. At that time, Hezekiah cut off the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the doorpost which Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. So, they try to stop this king from overtaking them by basically giving them 
their gold, their wealth. They've got to feel embarrassed as a people watching the Assyrian armies marching out of their city gates with their gold and their silver. Their God was completely dishonored because his people had made a deal with the devil, essentially. And, and we see, as the story continues, that that deal didn't pay off because the Assyrians don't follow through on their end. Even though they said, give us the gold and we'll leave, they, they take the gold and continue on with their plan to come and try to, to attack Judah. Right. So it's kind of in this desperate state um, that, that they finally recognize their sinfulness against God. So really, they have no other choice. They've tried every way to do this on their own. Their backs are against the wall. Um, they have nowhere else to turn. And God basically is their backup plan at this point because everything else hasn't, hasn't worked like they had tried. Yet God is going to choose to forgive his people, even though they're turning back to him reluctantly, kind of as a last resort. And so that's kind of the stage for chapter 33 here. And, and I can totally relate to this personally because I feel like so often I come to God reluctantly or I return to God reluctantly after I've walked away from him for a while. Um, but I was also encouraged because I were, I was just reminded that God is, um, he's more ready to meet us often than we are to meet him. Um, I think it's somewhere in, in the gospel of Luke where Luke talks about the fact that, that God or that Christ rejoices more over one sinner turning to him than he does for 99 righteous people who really assume they have no need to repent. So I just, I was, I was humbled. I was, um, I guess I had to confess some things to the Lord here personally, um, leading up to chapter 33, because it just brought all that to mind for my, mm-hmm. That's good. And yeah, let's, so let's look at then, uh, kind of the starting in verse two, right? Isaiah calls on the Lord, right? Unlike much of Judah, right? He, he trusts in God and God alone. Yeah. And he's praying here, you know, and, and praying on behalf of the people, uh, and, and kind of almost, it's almost like he's leading the people in this prayer, right? Be our arm every morning, our salvation in the, in the time of trouble. It's kind of like he's, uh, all y'all pray this prayer with me right now. We, yeah, we need this. Uh, we need the Lord to, to show up and, and rescue us. Um, and, but like in verse three, it actually reminds me of a few chapters previous. So verse three says that the tumultuous noise, people flee. When you lift yourself up, nations are scattered. And in Isaiah 30, uh, starting in, or in verse 30 and 31, right? It says the Lord will cause his majestic voice to be heard and the descending blow of his arm to be seen in furious anger and a flame of devouring fire and a cloudburst and storm and hailstones. The Assyrians will be terror-stricken at the voice of the Lord when he strikes with his rod. And so it's it's like, Lord, you promised this. We, we need you to follow through on your promise, please. Uh, and yeah... And as you said, Brad, this is this is totally applicable applicable to us, right? Uh, we 
turn to God kind of as a last resort much of the time when we try and fix things ourselves and really just make everything worse. Um, but how great is it that we have promises of, of by the Lord to uh, forgive us, restore us, sanctify us. And just like Isaiah does here, right? He prays these promises back to the Lord and, and, and finds encouragement in it. Yeah. Yeah. I thought if you look at verse three, where it says the nations scatter when you rise in your majesty, to me, it was just kind of this, this picture in my head of, of God's been sitting there watching all of this junk go on with his people refusing to follow him with all these oppressive nations destroying him, stealing his gold off the temple, all this stuff. And it says, and then he's going to stand up. Basically he's going to rise up in his majesty and the nations are going to scatter. And I just, in my head, I'm, I'm thinking of being a child and, and doing a bunch of stuff in the living room with my parents in the room and they, they're annoyed with me and stop it, Brad, you better stop it. And then finally dad stands up and it's at that moment when I'm like, Oh no, I've messed up. Here comes dad. <laughs> And so that's just kind of what I, that was the picture in my head of seeing God finally standing up saying enough is enough. It's my time to, to step into the picture here. Right. And what a fearful moment that would be for, for people who have rejected him. Yeah. So I found verse five and six to kind of be the key verses, I think in this section, um, So I'm going to read the verses first and then we'll talk about it. But it says, the Lord is exalted for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness and he will be the stability of your times, abundance of salvation, wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. Uh, And and I'm reading from the ESV uh, as well. I know y'all got CSB. I'm a old school redeemer uh, (laughs) with my, uh, you know, back when we, I bought the like. I don't know if you knew this. I bought this Bible, uh, ESV version when I found out. Once I became a member of Redeemer, like, oh, they do the ESV. Okay, I'll get an ESV Bible. And then, like a month later, uh, y'all switched it up on me. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I'm sitting here with my NASB open as well. So uh, you know, we can we can. There's grace even amongst Bible translations. Well, the fact is, it's been so long. None of us even remember what ESV stands for. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Hey, you know, but the the version I had before that, before I had to switch to ESV, was the NIV, which was, you know, the version of the 90s. So, you know, I was way behind in the in the times, right? I might as well have had a King James version. All right, hey, it's, not, it's all God's word, so just read it. There you go. So, back to that. Uh, uh, so... Right. The Lord. So the first part we have, the Lord is exalted. Right. No man, uh, including Assyria. Right. And that nation is going to be able to reach him. Right. They can't come up there. They're not going to be able to bring him down. And he is going to be just and righteous in his judgment on us in Assyria. And then also right with with Zion, which, again, um, Zion is kind of used as this vision of 
the new Jerusalem, right? When, when God uh, finally consummates his kingdom um, in the new heavens and the new earth and dwells with, uh, with us intimately, right? And of course, our, our initial thoughts should be, oh no, right? God's going to show up and he's going to show justice and righteousness. Uh, and we are deserving of hell. So that's, that's not a good, that's, that shouldn't be good news for us, but right. So this verse even, even subtly or indirectly points to the cross because we can celebrate God's justice because it fell on his son Mm -hmm. and you know and god and because god is just he's not going to punish us for our crimes if jesus already absorbed that punishment right that's double jeopardy and and god's not going to do that um but anyway the verse and then verse six there at least the first half kind of lists the results of fear of the lord right if you fear the lord as isaiah did um, then God is going to be the stability, right, of, of your times. And he is going to give you salvation, right? You will be saved from uh, the ultimate enemy, right, which is, which is death and, and your sin uh, and, and restored to him. You will receive wisdom, right, which is just the – you will be able to correctly evaluate things, and, and, and knowledge, you'll see things as they are, but I love the last part, right? The fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure, right? Yeah. It is, it is, it's, it's, it's amazing how easily we forget the most valuable thing a person can have is devotion to the Lord, right? A, a, a pure, uh, fear and, and, and devotion to the God of the universe. Well, and it's funny, uh, Brad was explaining to us the uh, literal treasure uh, being uh, being looted, right? Um, and now we find out that Israel's real treasure was the fear of the Lord the whole time. You yeah. know, and that's something no one can plunder. Uh, I mean, we can give it away freely, uh, but no one can take it away. Um, and that's just another way uh, that Isaiah turns our expectations um, on their heads and says, Hey, this thing we've been talking about the whole time, it wasn't what you thought. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, Proverbs says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, it, I mean, it says it multiple times, but mm-hmm. um, when in the movie, Bruce almighty, there's a scene where um, he looks in his, uh, in his rear view mirror and sees Morgan Freeman sitting in the back seat and he screams because he's surprised and scared. And Morgan Freeman's response is, he says, that's the beginning of wisdom, um, which is very quick. Um, <laughs> and they don't explain it, you know, in the movie, they're just assuming that whoever's watching the film is biblically literate, um, which is ironic given the whole theme of the movie, but it is um, nevertheless, the fear of the Lord um, is something we ought to treasure. 
you've referenced a lot of TV shows and movies this season, Scotty, and I can finally say I've seen one that you referenced. So good job. <laughs> well, uh, praise be. <laughs> so verses seven through nine really are kind of like, as Scotty said, like especially with chapter 30, 33, it kind of goes back and forth from good to bad. Um, so I guess you could say verse seven through nine are kind of bad, right? Uh, it it kind of lists the reasons why Isaiah is praying. And, and I think it's good, Brad, that you included the historical context because we see things like covenants in verse eight, covenants are broken, right? Assyria broke its promise, right? After Hezekiah paid its, its tribute to them, Um you know, there's and and just Judah is in a terrible plight, right? The the highways are a waste, the cities are despised, um, you know, all those things. Yeah, and I also took it slightly positive in the sense that this is the first time they are finally experiencing what I would consider maybe true brokenness over what they've allowed to happen. That they're recognizing in the first couple of verses of this chapter that. We're going to finally turn to the Lord. We're going to trust in God and not trust in man, not trust in other leaders. And, and look what happened when we didn't, our, our cities are destroyed. You know, the, it talks about Lebanon and Sharon and Bashan and Carmel. These are, these are areas known for being lush with vegetation and, and extreme beauty. And they've all been left desolate by these enemies of God. And so I think the people are finally seeing what they've allowed to happen by not following the Lord. Mm-hmm. And then you have verses 10 through 12, right? The Lord acts, right? I, I don't know, again, like what the other versions say, but in the SV, in verse 10, now is used three times, right? Now I will arise, says the Lord. Now I will lift myself up. Now I will be exalted. And then we've talked about this a few times already uh, in this episode, right? God is he allows evil men to only go so far and and eventually god always goes enough right and and i think it's important to understand that god has his timing he has his reasons even if we don't know what they are but he is wiser than us much wiser than us uh but god will always rescue his people even if it's not right um here and now uh, ultimately we are rescued again from from sin and death so god always will rescue us and he will um you know bring forth justice yeah in his but in his uh in his own time yeah as so much of isaiah's prophecies do this this speaks to a uh, immediate issue for for judah that that God's going to stand up and and take his vengeance on Assyria in the short term. But I also like like you're saying, George, I think it also has a long term uh, implication for us as, as believers as well, that, that God is going to continue to fight our battles and and um, we, we can have our faith and our trust that he's going to do those things for us. One last thing I thought uh, for this part, for verse 12, you have a mention of thorns. Uh, and this imagery of thorns that are cut down and burned in the fire. And we've seen this in uh, previous chapters in Isaiah, like in chapter five, 
it's part of God's curse upon Judah for rejecting him and not following him is that he's going to allow thorns, uh, which are these oppressive nations. But also, if you notice, like thorns themselves are, you know, these plants are very uh, dry. And so they're very flammable. And so these thorns, which is Assyria, right, in in the immediate sense, but then also, Mm -hmm. right, in the uh, in the greater picture, the the enemies of God are going to be cut down, thrown in the fire, and the destruction is going to be instant, quickly, and it, and it's going to be complete uh, as well. And and that's you know as we know what happened to Assyria, right? They the entire army gets wiped out uh, eventually. And then Assyria is never really recovers from that. And they are eventually uh, overrun and wiped out by uh, the Babylonians. Yep. Well, it's kind of funny thinking of uh, thorns representing the enemies um, of God, because where did thorns come from? And we know biblically uh, as a result of the fall, right? Uh, Thorns, weeds, uh, things that make work difficult uh, all came as a result of human sin. And if you carry the metaphor that far, um, it would seem that's uh, these uh, thorny uh, enemies getting cut down and burned to a fire are also a result of man's sin. There you go. So uh, next section, verses 13 through 16, um, which again is just a, uh, is, is God saying, right, look at, uh, at what I've done and look at what, how I've removed Assyria from the picture. Right. And it's, and just kind of the results of this, right? People are going to see and confess that God's workings are, are just right in this sense. And then also throughout history, right? Even in in that last day, we will see what God has done throughout history and go, yep, he was right the whole time. Yeah. God's going to show off and everybody's going to see it. Whether, whether it's uh, enjoying what he's done or, or living eternally separated, wishing we had seen and understood. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, and as Brad, you mentioned how the people are going to turn to God and, and it will lead to repentance. And I think that's what's happening in verse 14, right? God acts against Assyria and in verse 14 the sinners in Zion are afraid and trembling has seized the godless right they they realize the seriousness of their sin right previously they didn't think they needed God but now they're like oh shoot you know look what he did uh he's he's definitely the king and then they ask right who among us can dwell with the consuming fire who among us can dwell with everlasting burnings, right? It's this, the, uh, they see the, the temporal judgments that happen like against Assyria, 
and they go, wow, and the eternal judgment is going to be much worse. Uh, we should probably change our ways here. You know, and and then it leads to uh, the description of who the kind of person that these people need to be. Right. The guy who walks righteously, speaks uprightly. Uh, he's not going to try and benefit by oppressing others. I like this one. You know, in verse 15, it says who shakes his hands lest they hold a bribe. Right. You, you think of like uh, an official who shakes a hand with somebody and he passes money into the, the official's hand, right? This guy would immediately shake his hand and drop the money on the ground. Like, I'm not taking that, right? Uh, so there's just all this, uh, right, the, the fruit of the spirit, right, you see in, in, uh, in the workings of this guy. And, of course, it ends his, his reward, really, for following him, right, is verse 16, uh, shelter, peace, confidence. Um, he's sustained, and again, and these things are given him, right? Uh, it says in verse 16, right? His bread will be given him, and his water will be sure that this is again, this is from God. He is completely reliant on the Lord here, yeah. And then verse 17, man, I love this. Your eyes will see the king and his beauty. You will see a vast land. Just this promise that they're going to finally recognize. It's not the Assyrians or the Egyptians or any other outside force or even an earthly king, but it's going to be God. It's going to be their promised Messiah that they will see. Um, wow. Right. This is this section, I think, yeah, really, it's not fulfilled right in the remnant returning from Babylon. Correct. It is, it is, it's the beginning. It's, it, it's fulfilled in Jesus, right? A arriving first, proclaiming the arrival of God's kingdom. And then the, the, and then what will be the, the consummation when Jesus returns a second time? Yep. Because there's this talk about your heart will muse on the terror, right? Uh, you, before, you know, when you suffered and, and you were, or you were worried or concerned, now you're going to go, oh, you know what? In light of eternity, that wasn't that bad, <laughs> you know? Uh, and then, and then verse 19, right? You'll, you will see no more the insolent people, the people of the obscure speech that you cannot comprehend, right? This is a reference Again, an immediate reference to the Assyrians and Babylonians. They'll be gone. But again, just the people who uh, had rejected God and, and were opposed to the people of God. They'll be gone now. You will no longer uh, suffer from from uh, them. Sure. And uh, I mean, other languages themselves um, are actually a curse, right? The Tower of Babel. Uh, man trying to exalt himself resulted in uh, people not being able to work together. And now we have a, a point where um, the, you're not going to have to deal with people who are hard to understand anymore. Um, and I, I think in that we're seeing, again, the, the theme of Isaiah, just inclusivity um, and how people can be brought into to God's people. 
um, and into God's language, you know. Right, which is English, right? Everybody will speak English. <laughs> the king's English uh, kingdom, right? The king's English, yeah. That's no, uh, <laughs> or Latin, one or the other. Right, right. Sorry, everybody. That's not. I'm. I'm not. I'm not that. Uh, <laughs> um, I thought verse twenty-one at first was kind of weird. But there the Lord and majesty will be for us a place of broad rivers and streams where no galley with oars can go, nor majestic ship can pass. And at first, I really didn't understand what that meant. But uh, after, you know, digging deeper with commentaries and stuff, it, it, it uh, in fact, there were several commentaries that said different things. <laughs> but uh, the one that I think, you know, makes the most sense is, is that it's there's no enemy threat anymore. You know, you think of uh, massive ships, ships of war that can go up the river and attack uh, a people. You know, that's not going to happen. The Lord is watching over the people. He is with the people and there's no more threat uh, to to his people. And then I also think, George, he's been talking a lot about kind of their desolate land and it'd be a dry place and that the Lord's going to restore the beauty of, to me, it's, it's just even talking about the land and potentially um, bringing deeper rivers and wider rivers. So bringing the beauty back, but also like you're saying with the wider rivers, they can't, you can't have enemies just kind of walking across the river to attack your city. They've got to bring these massive boats that you'll be able to see and you'll be able to defend yourself better. And, um, that it will no longer, they'll no longer have to fear all the oppressors from the outside because they will just have so much um, health in, in the land. And then kind of in verse 22 is kind of the conclusion or, or the climax, right, of this part of the of the new kingdom, uh, the, the new heavens and the new earth. It's verse 22, for the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, he will save us. And I don't know if y'all have noticed, but I certainly did as a uh, social studies teacher. Uh, when justice finally reigns, uh, it's because the Lord is in charge of all three branches of government. Yep. He's the judicial branch, the legislative branch, and the executive. He fulfills all those, uh, all those jobs of, of the government, and that is when perfect peace and perfect justice will actually reign so so many people right place their faith in the american government or in their political party which leads to them uh you know uh seeing the other political party as the enemy um and that's i mean nobody is 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 perfect, right? Nobody uh, actually has the answers to our problems. Uh, only the Lord has, and and there won't be perf- perfection. There won't be shalom until the Lord is completely and one hundred percent in charge. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think He's also like Isaiah has used uh, the imagery of water before. Um, if we go back to Isaiah eight. Uh, verses six and seven um, basically say uh, because these peoples rejected the slowly flowing water of uh, Shiloh um, 
and rejoiced with Rezin, uh, the son of uh, Ramaliah, the Lord will certainly bring against them the mighty rushing water of the Euphrates River, the king of Assyria with all his glory. Um, it'll overflow its channels and spill over all its banks. And so when Isaiah is talking about these waters, he's talking about um, literally a, a reservoir in the temple. Um, and so he says, listen, we had the still water and you, uh, you refused it, right? You didn't want what the Lord had provided or, or what serving the Lord uh, provides. Um, he says, uh, refuse, refusing the temple and worship. Um, and so because you refused that water, now uh, there's going to be waters of river strong and many. And the Assyrians themselves are uh, personified as this. They're not personified. It's the opposite. But uh, they're pictured as this uh, torrent-like rush of like a flash flood coming to, coming to cause harm. And so now we kind of see that coming full circle and say uh, the Assyrians are gone. Uh, but the Lord, uh, the Lord is returning uh, in the form of water. Does that make sense? Like you, ha- you had the ability through uh, serving in the temple and keeping, um, keeping uh, the Lord's uh, word and, and serving him. Uh, you had water then, and then you had a bad version of water uh, come and wash you away. Uh, but now we have the Lord uh, bringing water once again, and it's actually more than was there before. Huh. Hadn't seen that. That's cool. Yeah. Same. So we have two verses left in chapter 33, verses 23 and 24. So easy to understand at first reading, too. I'll say that. I, I was going to say, uh, Brad, you're the elder. Yeah. So why don't you uh, explain at least verse 23 to us? <laughs> yeah, so it, it definitely took me uh, some some reading and digging. But basically what, I, what I'm seeing is that God is – or God through Isaiah is saying, Judah, you are worthless in and of yourself that he's using this image of a ship and that your ropes don't work. You don't have all the necessary parts and pieces to hold the mast, to spread out the flag. Um, but, but in verse 24, yet, even though you're sick, even though you're imperfect, even though you have, have run from me, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to forgive your sins against me and, and, and you'll have what you need in me. Is, is kind of the way I understood that. Right, right. In the new kingdom, right, we are going to be there, and it's not going to be because of anything we've done. We can't accomplish anything. I, I, I would say you're right, Brad, just the, 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 the picture of a, a ship that can't keep its own sail spread out or, or hold the mast, you know, in, in place and just tossed around. Um we're we're in there because of what God has done, and and it even says right in verse twenty four, the people who dwell there will be forgiven their iniquity. That is why we will be with God in the new creation in His kingdom. It's because He chose to show us mercy and forgive us. Yeah, and it's important to remember that. 
right that brings us to the end of chapters 32 and 33 we are already over the hour mark but we're still going to do application because that's the most important part so uh brad again you are the guest so you get to go first uh what from uh these two chapters can we apply to our lives Yeah. So I looked at this as, okay, what are the Assyrias in my life? What are the things outside of me that are threatening me and my faith? Um, That's really not the crisis. Um, Understanding that my real crisis is often my own unbelief in God. Um, Mm. My, my real danger is not the things outside of me that are bringing difficulty to my life, but my real danger is when my heart is not filled with a sense of awe and wonder at who God is and what he's done for me. Um, so kind of like the women of Israel, I thought, you know, I can become complacent. I can lose sight on God's purposes um, and I can quit obeying his commands. And so what's what I saw in 33 is where this all leads to is I've got to repent daily and turn back to God and acknowledge it's not my own self-righteousness, but it's solely Christ's imputed righteousness on my behalf that, that brings me into right standing with him. So to me, that was really the big takeaway from these two chapters. Very good. Scotty, what about you? Uh, I think I would zoom in on 33.6 and the fear of the Lord is Zion's treasure. Um, it, as far as application, it's uh, probably a little less uh, hands-on than I would like it to be. Um, but just the understanding that, um, I need to value fearing the Lord more than uh, more than I value uh, anything else, any any other kind of security, any other kind of safety. Um, I always tend to think of myself uh, when when something happens, thinking, "Man, I wish I had had time to prepare for this." Um, you know, where uh, uh, my wife and I, our, our life is changing. You know, uh, month to month. And, and I always think, you know, oh man, you know, I wish, I wish I'd had time to, you know, get my spiritual life in order to, um, you know, have really some, some disciplined time walking my kids through the Bible before, you know, we, um, committed this or before this, this thing changed. Um, and the reality is that, uh, you have the same amount of time as everybody else. And, um, if you, but if you're complacent, um, you're never going to use it and, um, part and that is just coming from not uh, valuing uh, fear of the Lord, um, which is something I'm in, endeavoring to pray for. Mm-hmm. As we and, w- and would encourage you listeners to do the same. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, Brad kind of stole mine. Uh, Sorry, my, but that's okay. Uh, I I'm going to repeat it because it's very good and it's for emphasis right yeah basically my question uh for y'all and for the listeners and and for myself uh is yeah what is your hope in what is your confidence in right are you like these uh uh complacent women whose hope is in their wealth or you know this false sense of i can i can protect myself right uh or are you yeah, repenting. Are you turning to God to save uh, to save you from first off, first and foremost, from your sins? Right. I think it's uh, just important for us. Yeah, to re- as you said, Brad, repent daily, ask for forgiveness, um, 
I mean, Christ died once and for all. It's not like you are now, you know, you have to keep confessing or you won't be forgiven, but it's still, you know, it's important to have that right relationship with the Lord and to uh, trust him. And, and in so doing, right, you will receive the, the stability, the confidence, the shalom that he promises. And, uh, and, and that's important that we remember that, remember his promises, right? Remember that there will come a time when he will end all suffering, end his enemies, and establish himself as our judge, lawgiver, and king, and, and that he will save us. Um, and again, it's his victory, right? We need to remember that it is, uh, it is all his doing. We didn't accomplish anything ourselves. And, but that being said, right, that's actually a freeing thing. Uh, we don't have to worry about saving ourselves. We can, we can trust in him and, and know that he's got us and, and, and just rejoice, just rejoice in it. Amen. All right. That, uh, concludes, uh, tonight's episode, uh, over Isaiah 32 and 33. Uh, once again, this is George Cagle joined by Scotty Jinx and Brad Smith for Redeemer Radical Reflections from Reading Rightly. Or, of course, you are allowed to just call us the five R's. See you next time. Adios.